0: This is our fourth session on Philippians 2, 19 to 24, and we're going to focus on one verse, namely verse 20, and five things in it. The word for and its implications, the phrase or clause, I have no one like him, I have no one like Timothy, who will be genuinely. Uh, Concerned, actually buried in here, I have no one like him, is a Greek word. That'll be number three. (laughs) And then fourth, who'll be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So those are the pieces, every one of them carrying tremendous implications for how we live, how we talk, how we communicate how we represent Christ and enjoy Christ. So, Father, as we focus now on verse 20, open our eyes to see what's implied in each of these phrases or words so that we can know you more deeply and follow you more clearly and love you more dearly, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that, I too may be cheered by news of you. So so that tells the purpose of why he's sending Timothy. And four tells the reason he's sending Timothy in particular, right? I want to send Timothy to you because I have no one like him. (laughs) There's nobody on this team that's like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So lesson number one. Paul gives reasons for what he does. Oh, how church leaders and parents and friends need to realize when we're talking, let's make clear why we do what we do. So that's implied in the word for. Second, I have no one like him. That's a risk, isn't it? In contemporary mindset, Hardly anybody would talk like that because we're so afraid of speaking comparatively. We're so afraid of saying that one kid on this soccer team is better than another kid. And I admit, and this is important, that every single human being is on earth for a good purpose and we should encourage them to find that purpose and not waste their lives. And so they are significant to God. That glorious truth is not contradicted by the fact that Paul can say, I have no one like him. And he knew other people would read this letter. (laughs) I mean, the team's going to read this letter. Just think of it. Timothy is in a class by himself on Paul's team, and we simply, we simply have to get over some of our squeamishness about thinking that everybody's the same. Everybody is not the same. Timothy was better than the others at this, namely being genuinely concerned for their welfare. So that's the second thing. We need to beware lest we fall into contemporary mindsets and emotional states rather than biblical ones. Now I said there was Hidden in this phrase, a Greek word, the Greek word is Esau psukon." same-souled. This isn't just saying, I have no one like him. This is saying, I have no one like soul with me, the same soul I have. And so the lesson here, besides the fact that he compares him to others, is saying or the lesson is, it is good to have unity on the team. And I don't mean that everybody is a carbon copy of the others on every church team, every ministerial team. I do mean Paul considered it enormously precious that he had somebody like sold with himself. So it's okay to look for people whose heartbeat is the same as your heartbeat for Christ and for the church and for evangelism and for missions and for other values that you have instead of saying well I guess we should all be all over the map on how we feel about everything no that's not the way Paul thought it was precious to Paul that he had a Timothy who was like souled. here's the fourth observation Timothy is wonderfully like Paul and unique among the team in that he will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Genuineness in the Apostle Paul was, and in the life of Jesus, the mouth of Jesus was off the charts, important. Authenticity is important, right? Don't be a fake in the way you are concerned for the welfare of others. Here's 2 Timothy 8.8 with that same word. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Oh, that there may be no fake love in the church. Or here's Romans 12.9. Let love be genuine, unhypocritical. Or here's another one. 1 Timothy 1.5. The aim of our charge is love, that issues from a pure heart, and here it is, and a good conscience, and a sincere, that's the word genuine, sincere, unhypocritical faith. So faith and love are to be genuine. And if you wonder, is it really possible to look like you care for others and not care for them? Look at this. This is Judas. John 12, 4-6. Judas, one of the disciples he was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment, the woman had just spent, poured this expensive ointment on Jesus, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? I care so much for the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He loved money, not poor people. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself. Oh, oh, oh. Jesus hated that kind of hypocrisy. And Judas's end met with something close to what he deserved. Three years in the ministry of Jesus. Faking care. I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely. He wasn't trying to impress me. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. He wasn't trying to make money. He cared about them. Let each of you look not only to his own interest but also to the interests of others. Chapter two, verse three. Now, one more observation, and this is the most remarkable of all. This word concerned here is mare, uh, m nao. Those of you who know Greek can test me on this. And that word right there means, over in chapter four, verse six, same word right there. Don't be anxious. Mer-im-na-o. do not be anxious about anything. Don't be concerned about anything. Don't worry about anything. But in, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. This is not the only place in the New Testament where this word anxious here is totally negative. Negative, not positive. Right? Don't do that. Don't feel merimnao about anything. And back here, that's the word right there. Be genuinely anxious for the welfare of others. Well, how can it be? You know, how, how, how are we to understand? Don't be anxious about anything or anybody. And here, I have no one like him who's anxious for your welfare. I remember I had a woman in church who used to stand up at a business meeting, and she would say, oh, "I'm concerned about this," and then she'd pause and say, "I'm not, I'm not, I'm not worrying about it. I'm just concerned." <laughs> and I thought, "Is that is that a good distinction?" Actually, it is. <laughs> it is. So let's let's try to sort this out for just just a moment. So let's put um, two twenty here because this is positive, and let's put uh, 4, 6 here, this is negative, right? And this says concern about the welfare of others, and this is not anxious. Not concerned in some kind of negative way, An- how do I spell anxious? Not anxious, all right? So it's proper to have concern for the welfare of others, like your children or your church or your country or your spouse or your friend, but it's not proper to be worried or anxious about it. What's the difference? What does it feel like? Let me suggest three ways to think about the difference. I would say this one is governed by love for people, and this one is governed by fear. There's a difference. They're going to look much the same. Perhaps you might, you might keep your kid from running out in the street because you love them, or you might keep your kid from running out in the street just because you're dominated by fear. So that's the first difference. And it's a real difference, even though it may result in the same kind of outward behavior. Or here's a, that's one. Here's the second one. Concern is governed by trust. Trust in God's good sovereignty. And anxiety is unsure, unsure of God's good sovereignty. There's the difference. Trust. Versus a a wobbly heart when it comes to, is God really going to take care of the situation? Is God really good? Is he really sovereign over my children? Is he really good and sovereign over my church, over my friends, over the situation of our country? I'm not sure. Well, that kind of person is going to act out of fear and they're going to be anxious. This kind of person is going to have a concern, but he's going to be restful in God's good sovereignty. And, and almost the same as number two, number three, I would say, is this, this person, the, the negative emotions, negative emotions are limited, let's say bounded, by joy in this. Whereas this person, the negative emotions that come from concern and turn it into anxiety, the negative emotions control. They're not, they're not, Limited and bounded by joy. They just give free reign. So that's my effort, and I'm sure some of you could do better than that, but that's my effort to distinguish the fact that in 220, where it says, what makes Timothy so amazing and wonderful is that he is concerned, merimnao, anxious for their welfare, their good. And yet, he's not guilty of what Paul prohibits. Do not be concerned or anxious about anything. Same word. So in Paul's mind, there is a proper way to be concerned, anxious about something in a negative way. One is sin and one is not. In 2.20, it's not sin, it's love. And in 4.6, it is sin. And those are the differences that I see.